Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to bet online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. I am here today with a special guest. I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm with a Canadian Pairs national champion, three-time national medalist, 2014 Olympic team silver medalist uh, for Canada. I'm here with Dylan Moscovich. Hey, Dylan. (laughs) Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you on today. I think we're going to have some great conversations. Um, but it's it's great to reconnect with you right now because at the time that you were competing internationally, um, I had mixed in with all of the seniors. And so um, I always felt super welcomed by all of you at that time. We went to the same Olympics, which is so exciting. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's cool to kind of grow in skating and still stay in touch with everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you you're competing around the world with people and you know there's there are certain bonds that are unique and different than um everyday life kind of friendships and uh it's nice to keep the community alive and and you know to to have those people that understand uh the life that you've lived so happy to be here doing this with you and having this conversation absolutely well, let's get right into it. So I looked at your biography before this chat, and it said that you stepped on the ice for the first time when you were 13 months. Is that true? And uh, what's the story behind that? I, you know, I have to, I have to say, I don't remember, but apparently <laughs> according to my parents, if their calculations are correct. Uh, yeah. 13 months old. My mom's from South Africa. And my dad was taking her skating on an outdoor rink in Toronto. Um, And I was 13 months old and they weren't allowed to carry me on the ice unless I had skates on. That was the rink rule. And so they rented a little pair of Bob skates. And um, I guess I, I kept complaining to be put down and they put me down and I just started walking and I started walking around the ice and apparently loved it. And um that led to them taking me skating on outdoor rinks and I would cry because I was cold and they take me inside and I cry to go back out. And someone said, you know, there's a, there's an indoor community rink nearby. And that ended up being my first club. Outstanding. That's really cool. I, I mean, it's, it baffles me to hear that there's a lot of outdoor rinks. I mean, it makes sense in Canada, but for me growing up in California, there's only holiday outdoor rinks that are tiny there's right. never you know natural lakes or anything like that so um i'm just picturing it right now and i'm very jealous because it sounds like the opening scene to blades of glory essentially is the number one thing that comes to my head um, yeah you know it's canada we're like a <laughs> like just a big giant frozen land and people ride polar bears to school and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's right, there, there are a lot of ranks. And and growing up in Canada, kind of all over the country, skating outside is something that a lot of people do. Um yeah. it's a nice kind of recreational activity and um a lot of people get introduced to it in that way. Amazing. Well, how did you get into pair skating? Because I'm assuming that you started with singles, um, as most people do to just learn skating. Um, uh, but who did you start your Paris career with? My sister. Ooh. Um, yeah. So actually, technically, I did a little bit of like pre-juve pairs and juvenile pairs. Uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't lift them over my waist uh, 
It was like little throw wall jumps and stuff like that. So my first dance partner, Alexandra Capper, uh, she also skated pairs with me. And then I did some pairs with the older of my two sisters. I'm the oldest of four. I have two sisters cool. and a brother. And the older of my two sisters, Natasha, um, her and I did ice dance together and some pairs. Hilariously, she was taller than me at the time. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of like my introduction to pairs, but not really. And then real pairs started when I was 18, um, I guess the spring of 2003. And we were training at the cricket club with Paul Wirtz, uh, my sister and I, both as single skaters. And she was nine. <clears throat> we're nine years apart. And she was tall and strong and very good for her age. And there were a lot of pair teams there. So as a joke, we you were know, like, hey, check this out. She's nine years old. I'm 18, you know. So we did some stroking and they were like, can I see that again? And then we did another lap and they were like, okay, you're starting pairs tomorrow. Um, and within six months we were, we won pre-novice nationals and it was just like, oh, okay. Paris is kind of good and it's happening very naturally for me. And, um, singles was going okay, you know, but, uh, it just, I felt like this natural affinity with Paris, I guess, partially being an older brother and having that kind of relationship. Um, and it, it opened up a whole new world in skating. And that was my introduction to Paris. Very cool. Well, I saw that um, you switched partners with, to be with Kirsten um, Moore Towers at, I think in 2009, 2010 yeah. season. Yeah. Um, what is it like to switch partners in general? I know you've switched a few times, I mean, from your sister to Kirsten and then Kirsten to um, Lubov, but is it hard to switch the dynamic after you skate with multiple people? Um, or I mean, when you skate with one person for so long and then you have to redefine what a partnership is with the next person, uh, what is that process like? It's very interesting. Uh, <laughs> a pair partnership is is you become one person, right? Like you're a brand, you're, you're like, it's like an arranged marriage. You know, you're, you're a team. No, there's no like I within your skating life. It's me and my partner. If one of you misses a jump, you both miss the jump, if it, you know, whatever it is. And also, you know, as a skater, your whole identity is you as a skater. So if you as a skater is you and the partner and your identity as a person is you as a skater, you're just like completely meshed with this other person. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really interesting process of untangling this life and this way with someone that you have dreams and hopes and every single day you're with them. Um, and then starting over with a new dynamic in a lot of ways, meeting yourself in a new way, because, each partnership brings out a different side of you. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And then also kind of figuring out what your style is, what your strengths are, you know, seeing where you're attached to certain things and ways of doing things and, and trying to be willing to become a student again and relearn, especially as you get higher up and you've been at, at the, uh, the elite level for a while, we can get we can get a little stuck in our ways. We can think we know, you know, and that can get in the way of our, our ability to recreate. So yeah, it's a very humbling process to start over with a new partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was really well worded. I like Thank that. You. <laughs> <laughs> well, in your second season of skating with Kirsten, you guys became national champions. Um, that sounds like a really quick, timeline of success to go, uh, in just two years. Um, but what did that feel like for you guys It for Paris? Is that quick or is that a good progression? Um, talk us through that. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to put, it's hard to put like a definitive answer on that because there are so many factors, right? Like the mm -hmm. timing, uh, we happen to partner the year of an Olympics. So our next year, as there usually is with an Olympics, the next mm -hmm. year after is kind of like a rebuild. 
-hmm. It's either a four, eight or 12 year cycle where there's like the same teams, but often after an Olympics, there is an opportunity where there's a clean slate and there was a completely clean slate. And we had skated really well at nationals the year before we made the national team coming fifth, went to our first four continents and um and leading up to that nationals we had done well at the grand prix we ended up at the final and kind of set ourselves up as you know one of the top new teams and it was us and uh rudy and Paige and and eric and megan had just started together that year so going into that nationals we were prepared and ready and understood the opportunity there to win nationals and so it wasn't like a crazy huge upset it was timing Got it. I mean, timing is everything in sports, right? I always mm. think about that with even the Olympics in 2014 is um, at the time, you know, I was really young and I just made it, but it seemed like there was so much possibility to requalify for an Olympics later. Um, but obviously eight years later, I did not. And I look back and I really think about the timing of 2014 and how special and how crazy it was that everything aligned in that year. Um, and that's, that's relatable for, I feel like so many athletes and so many people in general, when it comes to reaching a dream. I mean, and that's a, that's the, the gift of being prepared, you know, sometimes opportunity knocks and if you're ready, you can, you can take it, you can seize it. And that's, I think the gift of being prepared at the right time. Um, and understanding that you never know when it's going to present itself and you never know if it will again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So taking everything when it comes to you, I feel like is really important. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, talking about Sochi, um, you went to Sochi as well and you finished fifth overall at the Olympics, which is amazing. Plus you have the silver yes. medal from the team event. Um, yeah. What was your experience like at the Olympics? Um, and yeah, let's just start there. <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, you know, my my Olympic experience was kind of the opposite of you as I was 29 years old. I've been, you know, like at it forever, <laughs> I felt like. And um, to finally be there was, uh, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Uh, I had some physical uh, setbacks. I had like an infection in both of my feet. And I ended up having to get freezing in my feet every day to skate. And it was like super uncomfortable. And I often forget about that. It's like, wow. oh, I had the best time. It was amazing. But yeah, like I, I, I had some stuff to deal with as most people do at the Olympics. Um, but, you know, I kind of, I prepared really, really well. I was very, very trained, physically very fit and mentally very fit. I was ready to seize the opportunity. And I saw a lot of people in their heads, as you would expect, you know, that's a lot of buildup and a lot of pressure if you allow your mind to wander into the what ifs. And I am very grateful that I was ready. I was prepared well by my team and I, and I made the right choices within my mind uh, on the fact that I was just going to have the best experience and, and, and enjoy it. And I did. Outstanding. What about the team event? You know, that was the first time that uh, figure skating was having a team event and they've done it every Olympic since then. But um, you were a part of that original team and uh, you won a medal. So what what were your, your thought processes on the event in general going into it? And um, yeah, how do you feel about the team event? I think it's great. I think mm -hmm. it's, you know... Um... The Olympics, I think more than any other events, is really about the world coming together and getting to represent your country. Um, mm -hmm. At least that's what it should be about. Yeah, um, definitely. Unfortunately, there's a lot of politics uh, outside of sport too, like country politics. It, you know, it is what it is. Um, but in figure skating, we're alone out there or with our one partner and we're competing against our country uh, teammates all the time. And the team event gives us an opportunity to compete alongside, um, you know, our compatriots. And for me, it was, it was another opportunity to skate at the Olympics. It was an opportunity, another opportunity to try for a medal. And <clears throat> another really nice aspect was, you know, Eric Radford, who 
uh, is my best friend. We've been friends for over 20 years and neck and neck our whole careers. We're, you know, just always at it on the ice. And it was a wonderful experience to be on the same team, you know, yeah. and, and just to experience that and stand on the podium with um, people I've known most of my life, like Patrick, I've known since he was four, you know, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a beautiful, um, a beautiful new way to experience figure skating. Yeah. I think my favorite part of watching it at the last few Olympics that have happened is seeing everybody actually cheer each other on and be excited mm -hmm. in a way that there's just, there's no actual competition in that moment. It's all just support. Um, and obviously we always support our teammates, you know, at every competition, but it can be really hard in your division, you know, to be happy for each other. If, you know, somebody is placed ahead or placed behind, or like you don't do well, but other people do like, it just, it's natural that we're competitive mm -hmm. creatures and you want uh, to be on top, but in that situation, it's, it's that teamwork effort. And as you said, everybody knows each other for so long years um, a lot of the times people have been competing on Grand Prix circuits for so long. And um, yeah, just seeing each other be together for the first time, I think it's really, really special. So I'm glad that they have the team event as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And I mean, it was about time. It makes perfect sense to have it. Yeah. Well, after the Olympics, you switched partners. Um, what was that process like? Why did you switch and who did you switch to? It was challenging. That was a, that was a challenging time for me. Um, it was a, a milestone in my life, you know, Kirsten and I skated together five years. We'd had a lot of success. We were very close. Um, it kind of happened suddenly, you know, and that's not new news. It's old news. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's how the cookie crumbled. And I was 29 turning 30 that year and I didn't feel done. And, um, there are very few options out there for me. And, uh, I competed against Lubov, um, before, mm -hmm. and she had been kind of out of the scene for a few years. And I reached out to her to see what she was up to. We talked online a few times, then we decided it was a good idea to have a tryout. So, um, yeah, I got our flight to the States cause she had already opened a U.S. visa to try out with another skater that mm -hmm. didn't end up happening. So I drove to Detroit, I flew her to Detroit and we went there for a tryout. We we're planning to stay for a week. Um, we canceled our flight home and started training, waiting for her Canadian visa. And there was some mix up, I guess, when she sent her passport into the embassy, she forgot to put the return address and like the passport was sitting there. And so we ended up staying in Michigan for like six weeks training. Wow. Uh, and then we, she got her Canadian visa and we drove across the border and she moved to Canada. And that was uh, the start of something new. I started skating at the cricket club again, but this time with Lee Barkell, who had coached my sister and I for a season and, um, and with Tracy Wilson uh, working with us and Bryce Davison, uh, you know, another really close friend of mine and um, David Wilson working with us too. So it was like a whole new team. And, uh, it was, like I said, an opportunity for me to relearn and to refresh my skating. And, um, I think, I think I did. And Lubov and I had a completely different style and also skating there with only single skaters. We had no pairs training at the cricket club with us. Um, but we had Yuzu, we had Javi, we had, you know, all these really great skaters. So stroking classes and edge work and all of these things became more of a focus. And uh, it was a really expansive time for me within my own skating. Amazing. Yeah. I feel like environment switch in that way, when you're surrounded by so many people that can motivate you and inspire you, um, it's, it can be extremely helpful. Um, and it, it just, I don't know, feels good in general to be changing it up sometimes. I think mm -hmm. that's something that I've learned in the past few years really is that whenever you're stuck in a rut, really you just need to change your environment for a second. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, it feels like there's all this new stuff coming to you or it feels like everything old is returning uh, that you didn't even know is missing in the first place. 
perspective is everything, right? Like you can be looking at something through the same vantage point over and over and not understand why you're not seeing something. And then you just change your angle. It's kind of like looking at a fish from outside the water and then putting on goggles and going inside the water, the shape, the (laughs) dimensions change completely. Right. So giving yourself a different perspective can create a whole new outlook on the same situation and then, mm-hmm. of course, changing the environment adds a whole other level. So if you change your perspective and the environment and open your mind, you know, life life starts to flow again. Um, yeah. As opposed to being stuck in a rut. <laughs> exactly. Well, the mental part is so important in pair skating um, and all types of sports, really. But I feel like in a partnership, you know, it, it's a completely different dynamic than solo sports. Um, so how did you deal with uh, building mental strength um, and building trust between your partner and you and then competition, you know, there's mm. a lot of anxiety and nerves and all that, but how did you try to build that mental state to be able to skate well? I mean, for one preparation is key, you know, go, mm-hmm. going a prepared athlete feels more confident. That's just, you know, you know, you, you know what it's like standing there waiting for your music, especially for a free program and knowing I feel physically fit so I don't have to worry about it as much versus, Oh my God, this is going to be really painful. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) and, you know, that first competition of the year is always daunting because you're like, I'm just, this is just going to, this is just going to (laughs) hurt. Um, so I think there's that component. Martial arts was a huge, uh, component for me. I started doing Kung Fu with Elvis Stoiko's, uh, teacher when I was about 19 and that became a huge, aspect of my mental training. Um, and then I also worked with a, a sports psychologist who did biofeedback. So essentially she's a PhD in neurology. She was kind of on the cutting edge of training the mind through, um, through technology and, um, working the mind like a muscle and training it to behave in a way under pressure that is beneficial. And so for me, I took my mental training very seriously. It was probably my favorite part of being an athlete. The thing I found most, um, most interesting, which isn't that surprising, I guess, because now I'm working outside of sport and inside of sport, but on the (laughs) mind and the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, being in a partnership is really challenging. It, it, and I wasn't always great at it. You know, looking back, there are times that I let my ego, my fear of failure, my fear of judgment come above my ability to have patience, my ability to accept where my partner was at as a person. And um, part of it is the conditioning of being an athlete in our sport and the results being the most important thing all the time. And it kind of becomes hard to keep perspective and, um, remember that we're people first, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. that is something I've really spent a lot of time with since I've stopped. And, um, there's a bond, you know, you go out there and you're waiting for your music and it's just you and your partner and there's huge trust, just not in the physical, uh, danger side of pairs, but in the trust that, you know, that person standing next to you is holding your hopes and dreams also, and you're holding theirs. And so that level of trust, that bond is half the battle. I mean, two people can be amazing on paper. And if they don't have that, I mean, it's going to be hit and miss. You're going to be rolling the dice every time. So Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting and complex and challenging aspect of pair skating. Ice dance too, I would imagine. Yeah, most definitely. Another, uh, I feel like difficult part of partner skating, whether it's in pairs or dance, I think is the dynamic of um, the female skater wanting to be light for their partner. Right. Um, And I think, you know, that can be a tricky subject, um, but I'm curious to ask you, since you were a male partner, you're the one that carries uh, the woman. Uh, A lot of a lot of female athletes in that position can start developing unhealthy eating habits, um, you know, unhealthy fueling habits to try to be as light as possible for their partner. Um, what kind of advice can you give on that front as a male skater that has to lift their partner? Or um, I guess, like, what is your perspective towards that? Um, 
in terms of making sure that your partner is fueling healthily and not, you know, starving yourself or whatever for the opportunity to be liked for their partner? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question and a, and a, and a challenging one. Um, I bring everything back to why, like, what is the intention behind anything we're doing in life? What is the why? And that why is the fuel. It'll be the thing that pushes us. And if the why comes from a place where we feel whole, we have more space to accept that we will go through ebbs and flows. Um, yes, there's physics and uh, it varies. You know, the weight differential between partners matters. Um, and as a guy too, you know, being strong enough being big enough at times, being too big at times are things I went through also, but it doesn't really compare quite the same in my opinion. And I think at the end of the day, the remembering that there are more years, hopefully ahead after skating than there are during and learning to love yourself and your body and treat it with kindness first is most important. And I think learning to be a partner that supports that is mm -hmm. paramount and educating ourselves, you know, just not eating is not, is not okay. It's not, it's not enough. Also, you know, like that, that is a body that requires fuel. Those are muscles that require nourishment for rebuilding those, those bones need minerals, you know, like those are things you're asking someone to fly through the air four feet and land on one foot backwards. Like that body needs to be strong. And if that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. So I think finding a healthy balance of understanding that there are times in the year where you need to push it. And there are times in the year where your body needs to heal. And you don't need to be at a hundred percent the entire year, especially in off season, especially when you're training, there are other things to work on. You know what I mean? And there are ways to go about doing these things. There are ways to learn um, how to fuel your body in a healthy way. And I think that needs to be very important. It needs to be very important. We need to be, we need to be remembering that we're people first. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're not machines. Yeah. I, I think that's very important for any athlete. Um, yeah. Regardless of whether or not you're in a partnership or not, um, it, it's your, your life span, like you said, is so much longer than your career, your sports career. Um, there's just such an unequal balance of thought process when it comes down to it, because at the time it feels like the most important part of your life. But once you leave it, then you kind of realize, wow, there's so much mm -hmm. more that's going to happen. Um, and there's so much more I can do. And it's really important that you stay healthy for that reason. <laughs> But. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's, it comes down to the industry of sport, you know, like mm -hmm. there are so many moving pieces. There are so many people involved and it becomes like a, a capitalist, a consumer based thing where it's, it's push it aside to get the job done because mm -hmm. there are people who are relying on you. There is this, there is that. And the results become super important for funding and like, uh, the federation needs to have results to get certain funding from the government. Like all of these things have small and big roles that they play within this machine, you know? And I think as a sport, as a sporting community, um, we need to consistently revisit and ask ourselves these questions and not mm -hmm. be scared to look, you know, we just, we just need to keep looking. We need to keep asking and asking ourselves uh, to stay honest. Is, is this healthy? Are we benefiting these people or are we trying to just get results and making too many compromises that are really not beneficial to this person's long-term health, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, in 2018, um, after you had done four years with above, uh, unfortunately you guys didn't make the Olympic team in 2018. And then you announced your retirement shortly after, um, was that a mutual decision or was that a personal step for you uh, to cut ties with competing and start your retirement journey? Yeah, that was personal. Lubov wanted to keep going, but I, I was done. Um, the last 
couple of years were really hard for me. Um, yeah. And, and then, you know, right before nationals, three weeks before nationals at the end of 2017, I had a, a pretty major accident, like a 200 pound mirror fell on my face What? while I was lying in a Pilates studio and oh my uh, God. this mirrored door at the back fell and, um, I heard something, I was about to meditate and I, I was actually on the phone. I'd gotten a call just before that. And I was on the phone with headphones and someone came to open the storage room door. And had I not been on a call and had I been meditating, I would be dead. And so the fact that I heard something and I got my hand up saved my life. But this this thing fell on my head and um, the glass shattered into like swords and was lying all over my neck, all over my body. Uh, my hand was split open. My face was covered in blood and uh, I couldn't see out of the corner of my vision. And um, I think like a couple of weeks before that, the Canadian immigration minister personally signed Luba's citizenship wow. for the games. And so I was concussed pretty badly and um, we had had a bit of a rough start to the season, but we were in like, great contention to make the team. We we were the top team at Worlds the year before and um we looked like I mean there were four strong teams. So it it was it was a challenging year. Um I went to Nationals concussed and competed on 3 days practice and was still, you know, hand taped up with stitches and it was it was a really tough way to go out. It was a really tough way to end. And um It's crazy. I knew, yeah, and I knew, I knew I was going to be done, and we got offered worlds, and I said no. Uh, we tried to go to four continents, and it was a disaster, and I shouldn't have gone. I was still concussed. I like, I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't. I was concussed. Um, <laughs> I have taken a lot of time to look at that time in my life, and you know, I, I believe in signs. I believe in in <clears throat> symbolic events in our lives that are offering us the invitation to make connections. And the fact that a, a giant mirror fell on my face and I didn't die, I feel like I was being given guidance to look inward and to reflect on the way I was living. Um, and and just my, my overall, yeah, my overall life, you know? Uh, I was stressed about skating. I was stressed about the Olympics. I was stressed with Luba. Um, and it wasn't healthy for any of us. And that accident changed my life completely. Um, and I decided I was going to go into acting. I spent a lot of time in acting after that. And um, yeah, that, that marked kind of a way for me to get away from the sport. And in some ways it was really helpful in the sense that I like, I would go and teach power skating and I would feel trauma. Like I just going in a rink was really traumatic for me, not mm -hmm. just because of the accident, but just the way the whole thing finished, you know, I was still, I was still struggling with all of it. <clears throat> and so having acting and having that, accident kind of repel me away from the rink inspired me to really look elsewhere outside of skating. Otherwise I, I might still be just in skating, you know, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. And it, um, initiated a massive, massive transformation in my life. Wow. That's a really crazy story. I had no idea that you had had that accident in 2018, um, or before nationals. Yeah. That's, that's a lot to have to deal with in such a critical, you know, short amount of time. Um, but in terms of it opening your eyes to uh, the next chapter, so to speak, let's talk about it. Retirement. Um, <laughs> what was it like initially to step away? I mean, you said a little bit already, but I feel like there's there's a long road of retirement. The first year, the first two years, I think feel one way and then it kind of naturally progresses into something else, um, depending on your perspective on it. Right. So what has that journey been like for you? <laughs> A wild ride. Like 
my life is unrecognizable to me um, <clears throat> when I compare it to the way I used to live. Mm-hmm. It start yeah, acting acting was this. You know what? When I first retired, it was it was there was some time where I was in depression. I was just. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know. I threw myself into acting right away to compensate and have something to strive for. And, you know, in hindsight, there was a good portion of it that I needed to be seen still. I needed to be doing something that was seen as special and different. And Mm -hmm. what it ended up giving me was completely different. And it, it taught me about my inner artist. It taught me to find the courage to say out loud that I'm an artist, which was similar to growing up as a male figure skater in Canada, the willingness to choose what felt right to me over the fear of judgment. Um, And acting taught me to access my entire spectrum as a human being. You know, it's not just the tools that make you strong as, as figure skaters, we kind of walk the line of artist athlete, but even still, you know, we're, we're still competing and uh, we have, moments of releasing ourselves into that moment the best artists in skating are able to really do it but we're still like driving we're still finding our strength we're still putting on armor you know acting is about the opposite it's about having the courage to release the armor and it taught me to be start to unlock other parts of me that have been trapped mm-hmm. um I started getting in touch with my inner child. I started reconnecting with that sensitivity that I had when I was young, that I I built a shield around because of bullying, because of you know being judged in a sport, because of pressure to perform and succeed from coaches and um and myself. And uh acting started to unravel that and it gave me something new to be really excited about. Of course, I was ambitious. I was driven. I was going to be in LA quickly, you know, quicker than what it took most people. All these things, the, the ego wanting to, you know, see me as special and different than anybody else. Um, but that that was a huge component. And I was teaching power skating, teaching some figure skating seminars and started doing broadcasting work, which was a lot of fun. I was able to kind of bridge the two worlds, stay connected to skating um, and all of that was kind of moving along. I started doing some screenwriting programs and writing, which I love storytelling. And <clears throat> then the pandemic hit and, uh, like everything changed, you know, everything shut down. And then I was going through some major shifts at that time too, as the world was, but it really cracked me open more, um, George Floyd, the the civil unrest, the polarity and and um, strife between people, you know, was really uh, hitting me heavily. And I had just become vegan and was doing a lot of research on uh, animal agriculture and watched a lot of very uncomfortable videos. And like, I felt like my heart was cracking open, you know, all these layers that we put on to get through life with the acceptance of the inhumane practices that happen in all aspects of our world. Um, I allowed myself to feel all of them and I felt like all at once. And I just spent a couple of weeks in bed, you know, I cried a lot. I had a lot of a lot of feelings come up and I started to change. Um, And it was also partnered with a really intense psychedelic experience that, um, you know, was not, I didn't understand what these medicines were and I didn't understand how to use them properly. And and I experienced something very intense and and it, all of this inspired me to start digging. I started doing yoga every day. I started taking care of my body differently. Um, And I started spending time stretching and apologizing to my body for not listening to it, for putting my goals ahead of it and my relationship and starting to say thank you for this incredible thing I get to like live life in, you know, And, and just really changing my mind. And a mentor came into my life and, um, 
Vyaslav. He helped change my life. And, and uh, I started studying different paths, Buddhism and reading and learning about various philosophies and, and paths to discover the self. Uh, and I became just enthralled with this idea of expansiveness inside that the 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 expansiveness of the universe outwards is mirrored by the one inward and there's an infinite amount of space existing within us and mm. during the pandemic when i couldn't go anywhere i went inward and i started exploring myself and everything changed um and it was it was leading me towards bigger shifts and more radical changes in my lifestyle. Um, I was writing a screenplay with a friend about two guys who get lost in the jungle and end up on this uh, kind of existential journey and awakening. And um, everything was really shutting down in Toronto. And we're like, let's get out while we can. And let's go experience what these characters are experiencing. So we went to Costa Rica and we traveled the whole country pretty much. And then um, I ended up spending three months there and really connected with the land and the ways and the people and um, ended up at a retreat after being robbed. My Airbnb got robbed and I ended up on the phone with the Airbnb manager and I'd emailed this retreat center looking for a retreat. And I asked her, you know, do you know about this place? She's like, oh, I'm the I'm a, the facilitator there. I must have missed your email. We have a retreat starting this Saturday and there's one spot left. And so I was like, okay, guys, I'll see you in 10 days. And I went to this retreat. I didn't know anybody. I hadn't experienced these medicines. I had an experienced ceremony in this way. And it changed it just it, it cracked open all this all this perspective for me, all this understanding about life, about the mind, about uh, the interconnectedness of everything and everyone, and uh, and just some deep, deep, deep healing happened. And I got inspired to create something like that for athletes to help athletes with the transition when we go when we stop, we go through this death, you know, this this death of an identity and that thing that we wake up knowing our purpose is so clear. It's so cut and dry right there for us every single day. And then it stops. And then what? And we, we try and fill that void with other things and maybe we fill it partially or maybe, but there's still this loss. There's still this death that happens that really can be alchemized into beautiful learnings about ourselves, beautiful growth and, um, I became very inspired to learn more about how to offer that and how to create something for athletes um, to heal through that transition. So all of that kind of led me to a coaching program. Uh, I spent most of the year on the road with my ex um, through tennis. And uh, during that time, I, I created this athlete retreat, this trial run in BC and in, in Canada and it happened last summer, actually a year ago, right now. Wow! And it was this beautiful, beautiful experience. And um, I had been in touch with my friends here in Costa Rica the whole time, and talking about this idea. And we said, okay, let's 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 partner, let's make something happen. And uh, I became a, a a wellness coach, a life and wellness coach, and started doing some mindset coaching for athletes. And I was like, I need to go. I need to go. To Costa Rica I need to like I need to take this leap everything in me is telling me that the next step in my life is to really leap and have faith and um, my relationship ended I went through some massive massive difficult changes and I arrived here and my life hasn't been the same since you know so that's like wow. in a nutshell um, my my transition phase until now it is still constantly evolving mm -hmm. that's an incredible journey that you've been a part of for the last what like four years essentially um mm -hmm. and then since the pandemic two years like I feel like so much has happened in that time for you specifically um and so now you're are you trying to build like an athlete retreat in Costa Rica alongside this retreat that you're being a health or not health coach sorry wellness coach for is that, so, is that the idea? 
Kind of. So um, mm-hmm. we have now found a home at a retreat center. It's called Reunion. And it's okay. uh, North Pacific side near Potrero. It's on a place called Sugar Beach. And it's this beautiful location. And we now are going to be there full time. And so I'm working as a facilitator. Um, and my role is essentially to help yeah, with, with integration coaching and uh, movement classes, meditation. Um, we have a lot of workshops on... Um, open sharing and integrating and, and just being of support. And we work with uh, psilocybin with, um, with the mushroom for our inner alchemy retreats. And we have a team and we run those ourselves. And then we also have um, ayahuasca, which is a, a, a brew from the Amazon, an ancient medicine uh, used by various tribes in the Amazon region. Uh, and where we will work as support, where we invite in indigenous wisdom keepers support them and their message. And these people have been working with this medicine. They're like 12th generation plus, you know, these, these ancient, ancient ways of um, healing and, Mm -hmm. and healing the mind, the body, the spirit. And uh, so we act as a bridge to bring their wisdom, to bring their customs to people in need of healing and need of expansion, wanting to get to know themselves more deeply to live their truth. And so the idea is that we're open to all. And my my dream is to have a retreat with enough athletes that it's, it's an athlete-focused retreat where we can get into some specific things. But, you know, transition is a very common thing with all people. We're always, like, changes is the only constant in life. So we're always transitioning and we always are going to be up against, sooner or later, massive changes in our lives, you know? Um losing loved ones, ending of relationships, ending of jobs, changing of locations, letting go of a part of ourselves in the way that we think, you know, our identity, all these things are are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And often we just survive them. And the idea is to, uh, to really learn from them, to honor them, to sit with them and um, to see them as gifts for a deeper relationship with life and ourselves. And so uh, athletes are obviously welcome to any of the retreats, but yeah, I would love, I would love to have a retreat um, designed for athletes. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Um, It's, it's interesting what you just said about how, even though obviously the transition between retirement and sport and going on to something new um, is monumental at that time period of your life. There's going to be so many other monumental moments um, that you need to be prepared for um, mindset wise to be able to handle. And uh, something that I just thought of right away too is um, yes, there's things that where you can lose something like losing a loved one or, you know, changing jobs, ending relationships, but there's also like the birth of new things happening, right? Like whether that's starting a family or whether that's, you know, getting married and all of a sudden you're a team and you're not solo anymore. Um, Or even after, like, I'm just thinking of my parents, you know, their three kids are out of the house. So all of a sudden their marriage is different now where they're the only two, right? They're not parents anymore. I mean, they're always going to be parents, but they don't have their kids in the house. Like they're in this new chapter. So there's always like these new things that are happening. Um, And it can be really scary for people to transition into those two, even though they sound more positive. Um, It's, it's always hard to change if you're not ready to adapt your mind to what's happening. Right. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head. That's one of the the biggest struggles as human beings, you know, we, we are stuck in our minds and there's so much wisdom in our heart. There's so much wisdom in our gut. There's a knowing that comes from deep within us that we override with spinning thoughts and fears and attachment to things needing to say a certain way. And, you know, I realized myself, excuse me, if we are holding on to stay in a certain place, what are we missing that's meant for us? You know, what what expansion is awaiting us on the other side of surrendering to what is? And it doesn't mean just not trying with things. It means working on ourselves so that we have a clear awareness of 
knowing, you know, that that deepening of uh, the understanding of the communication of life. What is mm-hmm. what is happening for me as opposed to what is happening to me? How is this trial, this struggle, this challenge, this test a gift for me to expand? And what's awaiting me on the other side of it? You know, um, mm-hmm. it's it's not easy. It's not easy, and it's not like this. Just go and do that. But also, there's a component of well, it's difficult, so I can't do that. I'm not going to try. It just start one step at a time. Mm-hmm. But I think that willingness to commit to ourselves to to show up for ourselves in a way that says um that breathe breathe self-love into our into our experience of life you know this i'm going to choose me over fear i'm going to choose me over attachment or over these things and not like me in a selfish way i'm going to choose to fill myself and grow myself so that i can show up in the world for the people I love and the world around me in a way that is a higher version of myself, not mm-hmm. better. We're already complex and great and beautiful, but what is like a, a higher expression of who I could be? What's a higher potential, you know? So it's, it's that kind of choice. It's just making that choice to be curious, to, to learn and to mm-hmm. expand in that way. That's amazing. I like that. Always learning. You know, there's always so much that we can learn throughout every phase of life for sure. Um, and I think, yeah, that's something that I think we get stuck in a lot of the times, um, you know, after, whether that's like after you graduate school or after you've been in a job for a certain amount of years, you kind of, again, you get stuck and, and you get egotistical about, you know, you've, you've done the work already, but really there's already, or there is always so much work that can still be done. Um, and it doesn't need to be as scary as the word work, but it's just, learning it's growing like you said Mm -hmm. um i don't think there's an ambition more beautiful than getting to know ourselves like that is mm -hmm. that you know we're we're here on this earth and the and the 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 longest and most important relationship we'll ever have is with ourselves Mm -hmm. so you know if you're to look at it like a child who's asking to be seen who's asking to be held who's asking to be taken care of and we're constantly choosing things outside of ourselves for fear of a you know people pleasing or for fear of rejection or fear of not having enough fear of lack, like whatever it is. And and if we have the privilege to be living a life where we have security, you know, mm-hmm. um, being able to stop and go, what, like, what, what is being communicated to me and how will that enhance my overall experience of the world? And how will it even maybe change my perspective of what I'm experiencing and it starts to become, I get to, instead of I have to, it starts to become things are happening for me instead of to me. And, and it's just yeah. like a complete uh, perspective shift that empowers us to be more in control of our experience of life, as opposed to trying to control the things that are happening. Right. You mentioned that uh, the retreat works with psychedelics. Um, so you also mentioned earlier that you <clears throat> had experienced it before, but not um, in like the appropriate medicinal measures where you're using it in that positive growth way. Um, so how do you in this retreat balance that? How is it, I guess, distributed or um, I guess like, do you guys give a certain amount that is deemed safe or is there like an environment that you're taking it in with other people that you um, are making sure that you're in a positive mm. space and that you're not going to have a bad time. Um, Cause I know that there's obviously a huge stigma around psychedelics and whether or not there's good experiences or bad experiences. So I guess, is there a control factor to that, that you guys use um, or yeah. What, what is it? What is it like? Yeah. Those are great questions. Um, yeah, there's definitely a stigma. I mean, like, I'm an Olympic athlete talking about this openly and, you know, <laughs> it's, it's been a journey for me to get here, but I feel that these medicines are so beautiful and have they've shifted my life and the people that I've seen their shifts. It's magnificent. Not to mention they've been used for humans in various societies across the world for thousands of years. You know, there's a mm-hmm. reason our brains have uh, receptors to interact with these compounds, right? It's not, it's mm-hmm. not by chance. Um, that's, that's my, my spiel about the stigma. Um, (laughs) and also like making nature illegal is just wild to me. Um, 
Fair. <clears throat> that being said, there are ways to understand and respect the power of these medicines and to, you know, it, in the, in the shamanic view, the indigenous belief that I've worked with, you know, like say ayahuasca for many, many, many years, there's a spirit. They believe there's a spirit. There's uh, they call ayahuasca, the grandmother medicine, uh, like the divine mother teacher. And there's an understanding of how to prepare and how to open yourselves. And it, it, it's, the ceremony is just part of it, you know, and it's the preparation, like with sport, the more you prepare, the more likely you are to have a positive experience. The more you prepare and show up willing to be disciplined and committed to yourself, the more the medicine will meet you in that way. And it's also this understanding that there's no such thing as a bad experience, right? Like if you're going in to use these substances to just see beautiful things, you're missing the point and you're rolling the dice because it might know that you have some trauma or you have some, um, even just some, just some things, some pressing things in your mind that you keep pushing down and it wants to help you. It partners with your mind and your subconscious and your spirit and wants to bring those things to light so you can heal them and stop carrying around this bag of bowling balls. You know, for some reason, we like to just walk around with all this weight. Better to carry the weight than to look and see what's in there. I like to say, take a snapshot, take a Polaroid of the bowling ball, take the ball out, put the Polaroid in the bag. Now you have the memory, leave the weight, you know, like do the work to rid yourself of that pain as best as you can and to continue to work on it. So all that being said, our mission is to provide people with the support, the safety, the preparedness and the information and education to go into these experiences, feeling ready to open and trust and surrender. Of course, there's a screening process, you know, people with certain medications that they're on have uh, danger of, of interacting with the medicine in a way that's not good. So we have a screening process. Uh, we work with a doctor, you know, we have these things involved and obviously with a medicine like ayahuasca, we don't, we don't serve it. We're not trained in it. It's a very specific and also cultural, culturally sensitive thing to respect. And mm -hmm. so we add that support that holding of the space so that people feel safe. They don't have to worry about water. They don't have to worry about anyone else. They don't have to worry about anything just being in their experience and letting themselves receive. Um, and so, you know, we, we do our research about the mushrooms. We, we, uh, we read a lot, we watch a lot. We do a lot of uh, experiencing ourselves and working with different teachers and um, so that we have the information to share about just even the kingdom of fungi and how there's symbolism in the way mushrooms live on this earth and they are the digestive tract. They're the ultimate alchemizers of this planet. They turn any, they can like digest oil and plastic and they absorb information from around them and grow. Mm -hmm. And to understand that you're communing with a medicine that works in that way is to open your mind up to how can I work through my stuff in that way too? How can I become uh, anti-fragile? in the sense that I can receive life, feel what I need to feel so it moves and I honor my emotions, I honor my experience of being human and don't shy away from it, but rather sit in it because there's this expansion happening. So it's really mm -hmm. it's really the education of, um, of growth, the education of healing, mm -hmm. the education of expansion that these medicines assist with. They don't do the work. You are the medicine. The human is the medicine. The human is the person connected to this experience and to the continued uh, application of the lesson, you know, the curiosity of what is being shown to me metaphorically, directly, um, how do all of these things interact with my life and um, what can I do with them? You know, how can I show up in my life every day taking these things, which now I see things differently, maybe, how do I apply this to my life? How do I make changes sustainably that uh, maybe it's a small shift, maybe it's a massive shift, whatever it is, we're here to support and educate and um, and inspire, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So it's, uh, obviously I could talk about this all day. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. But... From what I am hearing, it sounds like the biggest part of it is, uh, the mental journey that you have to open yourself up to before you are even, you know, taking the medicine, right? It it sounds like it's all, it's very mental. Um, and it's, it's all about openness. And then that's where you're going to kind of get the most, I guess, like epiphanies or realizations throughout that whole process. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Absolutely. It is fascinating. Yeah. It is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I'm at, you know, relatively speaking at the beginning of my journey with, with being of service in this way. And um, yeah, it is mental, but it's also, it's deeper. And and I think our societies, especially Western society is so focused on the mind, mm-hmm. but there's, there's the heart, there's, there's the gut, there's like these instinctive primal knowings that we have that, that we kind of just shun. And we think yeah. we can think our way through everything, but we have to feel too, you know, these are, these are our greatest advisors and understanding there's various parts of us too. There's an eight-year-old version of us that is stuck there because a trauma happened and it's still trying to protect, protect eight-year-old version of us, you know, and it's, just, it's going into these things. Like I said, with the goggles and the fish, it's going in, seeing the fish with the goggles, and then now maybe turning it around and seeing it from the other side. And that's what these medicines help with. They kind of partner with you. So the ego isn't constantly trying to protect you from seeing the pain. It actually eases you a little bit into opening. And, um, you know, when people take these recreationally and with curiosity, it's not all bad, you know, it's not all bad. And, um, these substances are showing in science to really increase the uh, the ability for the brain to regenerate, to develop new neural pathways, the plasticity of the brain. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. And, and that is like different aspects of the brain, different brain centers are lighting up simultaneously, whereas in normal waking life, generally it's one sensor at a time. So now creativity explodes, understanding explodes. So when you're looking at something in your life, your ability to see it, move it, and then uh, understand it, perceive it in a different way becomes so powerful. But not only that, now a new neural pathway is connected from different parts of your brain, which opens the road for you to think differently, to have mm-hmm. different perspectives. It it helps you break free of your groove of, I think this way and that's that. Mm-hmm. which we are getting in our own way of perceiving life from all perspectives. And that's ultimately life-changing because if you can get yourself to understand uh, that you need to make a switch or that you're being held back by your own self, again, that's that's just you transcending into the next level of yourself that's open to the adaptation and the flexibility and the flow ultimately. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's I, really I, cool. I, I think so clearly, <laughs> you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's fascinating. It is fascinating. And I, I, when you look at the way uh, our understanding of the universe works is that it's constantly expanding. It's mm-hmm. constantly moving and growing. And if you look at everything on earth, it's constantly changing and expanding and growing and moving. And so are we. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a huge lesson for us to remember why we are alive. Maybe not why, but a beautiful purpose within this life um, can be to expand and grow and to embrace that growth as the most beautiful ambition you could possibly have. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, I really hope that uh, you get this athlete retreat thing going. I mean, I'm sure that it's going to be great, even if there's not too many athletes yet. Um, you're in Costa Rica, you're in that process. So exciting. Yeah, I guess as time goes on, it'll be really cool to see who uh, opens up to that experience and um, how many people can benefit from that type of process. So exciting. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks well, for giving is... me the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, this has been such a great conversation. There's so many doors that have been opened just in this conversation alone. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast today and and sharing all of this. It's been great. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a real honor. And it's nice to see you again. Nice to see you're doing well. And 
um, you know, we're from the same, the same cloth We're you know, like going through it at the same time. So it's nice. It's always nice to connect and see how everyone's doing with their process and um, what, where their life is taking them. So yeah, thank you for reaching out and reconnecting and for having me on your show. Right back at you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.